G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Let's um, come before God in prayer as we uh, think more deeply on uh, 2 Timothy now. Great God in heaven, what a good word you have given to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, your children, by your word and spirit. Father, work in us this morning, we pray, that we might not only grasp true things, but indeed be shaped into conformity to Christ by your word and spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a listen to this uh, headline from the Sydney Morning Morning Herald last year. Some of you might remember me uh, quoting it. I quoted it to to a couple of you at the time. Here's the uh, just the title talking about my mate's church over in Sydney. Demolish Saint Matthias Church. Build massive Oxford Street car park. Says property tycoon. <laughs> that was the headline a little over a year ago. The article spells out. Um, his beef with the church. Global property magnate Max Rain says the city of Sydney must seize control of the beleaguered Oxford Street shopping strip and demolish a historic sandstone church at Paddington to build a multi-storey car park. That was the case. He said several parking lots must be built, quote, to attract shoppers back to the boutiques, cafes, bars and restaurants. Mr. Rain said the St. Matthias Anglican Church was, quote, hardly attended, yet occupies a glorious spot near the corner of Oxford Street and Moore Park Road, which he claimed was ripe for conversion into a parking station. Another article, the Daily Mail, uh, puts it like this, or it quotes Mr. Rain. He says, it's sad to say, but the church is underused and it has so much more potential for even a hospital or a childcare centre. There's not enough parking in the area and it needs to be created in order to attract more shoppers. Well, today, we're continuing our little journey through 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, this little letter in the New Testament. And at the very forefront of Paul's concern is this issue. What is the future of the church in our day and age? Where is it going? Does the church have a future? Does our church have a future? And to go one step further, if the church is to have a future at all, then what's the plan to get us there? Uh, What should we be doing now? What should we be putting in place uh, now to keep the bulldozers at bay, whether literal or metaphorical? Uh, You might remember from our first sermon in 2 Timothy why the future of the church was such a pressing issue uh, for Paul and Timothy back then in the original setting. Most of you will know that to Timothy, humanly speaking, it's, it's just a letter. I mean, yes, it's the Word of God. It deserves a place in our Scriptures today. Absolutely, it's how God speaks to us today. And yet, in its original setting, it was a letter. It was a letter, uh, a, a very human document. And I wonder, do you recall the crisis The crisis was this, that 2 Timothy amounts to the final arrangements 
you know, kind of the last will and testament, the, uh, the, the parting words of this veteran missionary church planting bloke, that's Paul, and a very successful one at that, to an up-and-comer minister who's trying to get his church there in Ephesus kind of on the level. That's Timothy. Why are they parting words? Well, the facts are these. Paul is in prison and we, we no doubt picked up that as Marion read it to us before, his references to chains and all the rest. And the thing is, everything goes quiet after 2 Timothy, with the possible exception of Philippians. We're not sure which one was last. But everything goes quiet from Paul after that. And even within 2 Timothy, Paul is dropping these hints that this could be the end for him. This could be the last. This could be the last that you hear or see of this veteran, successful missionary church planter, Paul. It might be over to you from now on and people like you, Timothy. And so, it's time to talk about the future. It's time to talk about our church into the future. The future without Paul. The future drifting now to a period beyond the time when there were people who'd met Jesus face to face. Will your church have the future, Timothy? Now, as I make it out, 2 Timothy chapter 2, specifically, just this one chapter that we're looking at today, it amounts to this, it amounts to Paul's blueprint for the future of our church. So, all I'm hoping to do today is really sketch that for us or, or see it uh, in, the, in the text and then hold ourselves up against it. How do we go uh, with Paul's blueprint for the future of the church? How do we look? If, Paul's, uh, if Paul were to come back from the dead with his, you know, little clipboard in hand and his checklist from 2 Timothy 2, uh, tomorrow on the church office door, how would we go uh, if we hold ourselves up to his uh, blueprint? Are there perhaps areas that we've kind of overlooked or underdone a little bit that we should uh, have a bit of a look at? At the broader sketch, let, let me give you the outline. The blueprint comes down to these four words, so uh, hold on to these as we go on through. Four words, multiply, gritty, gospel spokespersons. Multiply gritty gospel spokespersons. We're just going to take them one at a time as we go through. Uh, so, first of all, multiply. Step one, have you got your eyes on the future? Step one, multiply. Uh, have a look with me at these uh, opening verses. Uh, please keep it in front of you if you've uh, got it. I mean, it will come up on the screen, but uh, multiply it. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, we've got to get our heads back into Timothy, don't we? Do you remember from last, uh, last time, now a few weeks ago in chapter 1, uh, just the emphasis that Paul laid on Timothy, pleading with him, urging him, uh, uh, you know, um, um, spurring him on, warning him to have a bit of pluck about him, be strong, don't be a coward, Timothy. Don't be timid, do you remember that verse there? Church leaders have got to stand up, they've got to stand up for Jesus. You then, my son, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Uh, does yours say men there on the trust to reliable men? Yeah, it's um, yeah. That, that's thanks for the little um, little emendation there, hands. Yeah, the word in red. So that was men. It, it, look, the men is a perfectly fine translation in a way. That's the word that Paul uses. But I think he's using it in that old-fashioned way of uh, where men refers to people. Uh, it's not his, his argument isn't so much about gender in this case. If it was, he could have used a slightly different word, but he didn't. Uh, no, I think what he has in mind is not so much an argument about gender, then what is it? What is the thing that he wants? Uh, what is the snowball that he wants to create here? Well, I think Chris Green puts it in this really catchy way. Two words. Timothy is to look for leaders who will have both brains and backbone he says, brains and backbone, the issue is not gender, to appoint people of ability and reliability, says Chris Green. That's it, isn't it? Have a look at verse 2 again. The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Ability and reliability, brains and backbone, that's it, isn't it? Can you see the snowball now? Because the thing is, you give it to people, Timothy, who are then going to be able to teach it. And who will they teach it to? Well, presumably lots of people. But who will they entrust the gospel to? Uh, Presumably people who are to have brains and backbone. People who have hands that are not only safe hands, to use a cricketing analogy, but hands that can share the ball. Uh, Safe hands, sharing hands, brains and backbone, reliable people able to teach and who will they entrust it to? Well, hopefully people who are reliable, able to teach. Can you see the snowball now? They'll entrust it to people with brains and backbone. They'll entrust it to people who are reliable and able to teach. They'll entrust it to people who are safe hands but sharing hands and thank God eventually it found its way from Paul and Timothy all the way down the ages to us in Howrah in 2015 a sleepy little suburb of Hobart. So let's hold ourselves up to this blueprint for a moment. Are we, Good News Christian Church in 2015, multiplying the number of people on this planet with the brains and backbone, with the ability and reliability to carry the gospel to the next generation? Are we doing that? Are we finding ways to do that? Now, please here, don't think that I'm trying to slide off the hook. I'm not trying to say it's not the pastor's job. Of course, it's the pastor's job. I want to say that's absolutely the pastor's job. But let's not let ourselves slide off the hook. The rest of us slide off the hook here either. Because my question is, might it be your job too? Might it be our job together to do this? Let me put it this way. Am I someone, are you someone who has received the gospel, who's a safe pair of hands, reliable? You you can be trusted to hold on to it. And who's able to teach it? Have you received the gospel? Are you a safe pair of hands? And can you then share the gospel? That's a bit broader than just the pastor now, isn't it? Who's involved in this? Well, it's, it's elders, isn't it? But it's also former elders. It's our Sunday school teachers. In many cases, it's older siblings, just the way family dynamics work, isn't it? It's mums and dads. It's youth night leaders be grandmas and grandpas, safe pair of hands that are able to hand it on. Bible study leaders, who have I missed, you know what I mean? It's, it's so much all of us and it's a thing that we do together as a church. The question isn't, have I got the special title? Have I got the official title? Or is it my turn uh, to have that job? The question is far simpler. Have you received the gospel? Are you reliable? 
are you able to teach it? Imagine for a moment uh, what that church in Ephesus must have been like when they really caught this and got going with this as a vision. They would have just been a hothouse, wouldn't they? A hothouse not just for plants but for people uh, taking the gospel and humming along at this. They'd be a hothouse for people multiplying, cultivating, investing. Uh, Chris Green, again, to quote him once more, uh, he says, this is not just a thing that that happens. It doesn't just materialise. It takes work. He says, we need to plan and prepare for the existence of loyal Christian teachers in our churches. That's good, isn't it? We need to plan and prepare for the existence of loyal Christian teachers in our churches. He says, Timothy's challenge is to provide long-term, intensive, closely watched and intimate training for a few in order to provide adequately for what? For the needs of the church into the future. That's part one of the blueprint for the future of church. Multiply. Part two now, what is the plan? Multiply what? Multiply gritty gospel spokespersons. Let's look at gritty now, uh, more briefly. Uh, It's going to take grit because it's actually a fair bit of hard work. Paul paints himself um, uh, these these pictures for us uh, which stick out to us pretty strongly. So, we'll just read those from verse 3. He says, endure hardship, Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. They're powerful images, actually, when you think on them, when you dwell on them, but I wonder, are they the kind of images that we'd ordinarily associate with Christian ministry, with gospel ministry, with life here at church, are they? Are they the kind of pictures? Do we normally think of gospel ministry as a, I don't know, what was the first one? As a soldiery thing. Is that what we normally think of it as? As an athlete thing, as this hard-working farmer kind of thing. I mean, some of you guys know exactly what a hard-working farmer has to be because you've been farmers. You know exactly what that life is like. Do you, do you, uh, would you normally associate Christian ministry with that? Uh, my dad's family is from, a, uh, is from an apple orchardist, apple orchardist family from down the Huon. My uncle uh, David still runs, the, or David and his wife Diane still run the property down there uh, in Franklin and a- they've diversified from apples into um, other fruits besides now. Um, but I know something of the hard-working farmer family and I tell you what, I mean, yes, it comes in seasons, but goodness gracious me, especially in the, the fruit season, that is hard work. Those are long days. And if the rain comes at the wrong time, as it inevitably does, you are left with this unsellable mush, if you talk, depending on which fruit you're talking about. And if your equipment breaks down at just the wrong time, which, you know, tends to happen, then it's long days because you're going to need it in the morning. Here's the thing. 
Slog your guts out for Jesus, Timothy. Why? To please him. It's quite an image, isn't it? Endure, verse 3. It's hard work, verse 6. There are no shortcuts, verse 5. Think on that for a moment, no shortcuts. These days, when folks, um, when we, we don't get enough time with one another, we, we talk, don't we, about having quality time? <laughs> like we make up for quantity time with quality time. Uh, as if we can somehow jam more hours of time into a shorter time just by manufacturing the experience a little bit. But I think Paul is saying here, expect it to take time. Expect it to be tough. You can't minimise this into just a little pocket of quality time. It's going to be a big investment, Timothy, like a hard-working farmer, like an athlete, like a soldier. Expect it to take time. Expect it to be tough. Now, I wonder, is this uh, reassuring for some of you? Uh, what I mean, I mean in this, because youth, youth night, think about that. That's hard work sometimes. Because Sunday school, that is hard work sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong, they, these ministries, they are a joy to me. I'm so glad that we're doing them. They are a wonderful investment, of it, but they are hard work sometimes. Uh, do you sometimes feel that you've got it wrong that you're stuffing it up, that you haven't figured out how to do it properly when it's hard work. No, 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 not necessarily. Hard work is what gospel ministry done right looks like. It sure did for Timothy. It sure did for Paul, if you know much of Paul's life. It's just tough work. Take encouragement. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No, this side of glory, it's going to take grit. Multiply gritty, let's keep going, gospel spokespersons. Part three, it's really about the gospel itself. Uh, You know, in light of the slog, Timothy, don't lose sight of this, multiply gritty gospel spokespersons. Let's read from verse eight now, where uh, Paul appeals to Timothy in the midst of all of that work. Verse eight, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. And if we are faithful, he will remain faithful. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Um, I won't pause here for too long. In some ways, uh, I feel that this is probably the, the um, I don't know, the most readily understood of the, of the, of the sections that we have before us. But I'll just say this, if your reason for ministering God's Word, for proclaiming it, for speaking it, for holding it out to the people around you, if it is something other than this, then you should stop and take a break. Remember, Timothy. You should stop and take a look at this. Remember, Timothy. Remember this. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, verse 8. If somehow your anchor and your centre has drifted to something else, you've got to come back to this. 
Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Remember Jesus. He's our gospel. He is our good news. He is our hope for where things are going. He is the fire that we need as we're struggling along with whatever ministry it is that we're doing. He puts even, from verse uh, 11 and following, he puts even our death in perspective. He puts even our life in perspective and injects it with direction and purpose and certainty. I wonder, can we say this with Paul, verse 10? Here's a verse to stick on your fridge. Can we say this? Therefore, I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Can we say that? Can we say that about our ministry? That is a a, a verse to put on your fridge so that you see it when you go to grab the milk for breakfast in the morning. Or you see it when you go to grab the veggies uh, to put in dinner at the end of a hard day. Therefore, why do I push, push, push in life? Why am I heading out to Bible study this evening? Why do I do it? Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's because we want to see people cross that finishing line, isn't it? And into glory. We want to see them cross it in the best shape possible. God's already chosen them. They're his elect. Did you notice that? He is faithful and so I'll give it all I've got. And finally, spokespersons. Final bit of the blueprint, multiply gritty gospel spokespersons, last of all. Now, I'll I'll come clean with you here. In my prep, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like the word spokespersons. What's the image that it conjures up for you as you're thinking that? Maybe you can think of a better one and you can tell me later on. But I I will tell you, the the problem with the word spokespersons, it's a bit clunky. As a speaker, it's a bit of a mouthful, spokespersons. It doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way that preacher or something like that does. Um, uh, and it sounds bland. And I don't know about this. It's, it's almost kind of, um, when you think of spokespersons, who do you think of? I think of kind of the representative of the AFL club who kind of gets wheeled out in front of the media when they make a media release because they're in trouble over some doping scandal or something like that. Like it's a little bit of a tainted kind of bland turn to me, spokespersons. So why on earth did I choose it if I'm just going to such lengths to say it's not a great kind of word in a way. It's because in this next section, Paul, I don't think he's making one point to Timothy, I think he's making two that belong together. Spokesperson. It's two things that belong together. Um, uh, So on the one hand, he is to be a speaking person, speak words, speak truth. Look for the emphasis in these coming paragraphs on the word and the truth and how significant that is. He must speak But secondly, he's got to watch really closely the kind of person that he's becoming. Watch really closely the kind of person that he's turning out to be, spokesperson. Paul wants Timothy, and and indeed he wants him to be multiplying a merry band of hard-working, gospel-telling men and women who will live what they speak, but who will say it when it's tough. So see if you agree with and indeed spot that that dual emphasis, spokespersons, uh, as we read now from verse 14. Keep reminding them, presumably the people he's entrusting the gospel 
ministry too, verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Then he gives this little illustration. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. Now, it's a quick aside here. Let's make sure that we're understanding this little illustration, this little analogy on the way through. What is he talking about? Uh, I get one side of it, you know, the, the silver platters are for the formal dinners, you know, gold and silver, it makes kind of, you know, I kind of get that. You use the special stuff uh, for the special occasions, for the noble occasions. Um, but what is the ignoble side of it? What is the kind of not so noble? What is the, the wood and the clay or the earthenware? Um, what's that about? So if I'm not taking sin seriously or taking repentance seriously in my life, if I'm not taking the Word of God seriously in my life or matching my life to that, well, what's the picture kind of driving at here? Turns out it's a bit more forceful than I thought, actually. George Knight, a um, commentator on these verses, uh, he kind of bluntly set me straight on this. He says, very simply, wood and earthenware vessels, right, so the not good side of the analogy, wood and earthenware vessels are regarded as dishonourable because they are for, get this, they are for garbage or excrement and are sometimes thrown out with their contents. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. That's a little bit more sort of polar opposites than I'd thought. You know, gold and silver for the table, I won't even talk about what the other side is for. All right. And that means that verse 21, I had better, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And so he puts some flesh on that. Flee the evil desires of the youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce uh, quarrels. And the Lord's servant mustn't quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. Quite a picture. Who has taken them captive to do his will. So... You've got the gospel, you've got the brains and the backbone or the ability and reliability uh, in terms of teaching it and holding on to it. You're not afraid of hard yakka, all of those things are good. Now, are you argumentative? Are you resentful? 
do you have a properly hard time letting go of a grudge? Are you a quarreler, a bit of a brawler, love a good argument? Am I multiplying gritty gospel spokespersons who know the truth, who love the truth and who live the truth and who long, who patiently long for even their opponents to come to know and love and live the truth? We've got a fair bit of work to do, don't we? In our own lives, in our ministry together. Uh, I'll conclude... Demolish St. Matthias Church, build massive Oxford Street car park, says property tycoon. Max Rain reckons the church is underused and has much more potential. However, Reverend Peter Baker refutes these claims, saying St. Matthias actually has about 400 parishioners, dates back to 1885, but it is still today, quote, a vibrant part of the community. And then they quote Peter. It's not for sale, he says. And we're not looking to move, thank you very much, but Mr Rain is more than welcome to our church. Our doors are open. It's quoted in another article. Max is welcome to join... Sorry. Max is welcome to join our congregation any Sunday that he likes. We'd love to have him. Brothers and sisters, what are our plans for the future? Are we future-proof as a church? I don't think we are, but indeed that's God's business and we can leave it to Him. I don't think any church is future-proof, I think the church is future-proof, but I know what we've got to get on with today. Multiplying, gritty, gospel spokespersons. How about we pray? Great God in heaven, what a gospel we've received, an anchor in times of trouble, a hope in the midst of grief and despair, the eternal glory that we have stored up for us in heaven in the Lord Jesus. Dear God, thank you that we've received that and thank you that by your mercy as a church, we have the hope of carrying that to the next generation. Father, we think of the community around us and we think of the gospel. And Father, we pray and we ask that you would use us for the good of the people around us who need to hear it, who need to receive it, who need to turn from being opponents, some of them, to being people captivated by your love for them in Christ. So use us, we pray, prepare us. Use us all the more. Father, where we're lazy, stir us up. Where we're disorganised, help us to, to marshal our energies. Dear Father, we pray that you would use us for the glory of Jesus in this world. Father, where we're discouraged, would you please lift us up with the sure hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And we pray it for his glory. Amen.